You're listening to the National Secular Society podcast, hosted by Emma Park. In this episode, we will be discussing secularism in the USA and its opposition by the religious right. The United States was one of the first countries in the world to have a secular constitution in which the church and the state were clearly separated. But in recent years, the conservative Christian right have renewed their efforts to exert influence over political issues. Even in the coronavirus crisis, the evangelical lobby has pushed for, and often won, exemptions from the restrictions on the freedom of movement that have been imposed by each state. One man who has long experience countering the influence of the Christian right in the US is Andrew Seidel. Andrew is an attorney at the Freedom From Religion Foundation based in Madison, Wisconsin. This foundation is the largest freethought organization in the US. In the following interview, Andrew discusses his experiences with the National Secular Society's Alistair Lichten. Andrew, welcome to the NSS podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It is a true pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. For our listeners who may not be familiar with your work at the FFRF, do you want to give yourself a little introduction? Sure. So we are the Freedom From Religion Foundation. We are the largest atheist agnostic free thought group, as we, as we call it, in the United States. I believe we're the third largest in the world after after you guys uh, and then some, someone in Scandinavia. Uh, but we basically have two purposes. We work to educate and to separate. So we work to educate the public about what it is to be a non-believer here in the United States, uh, the challenges we may face. And then we work to separate, to keep state and church separate. And we have a team of 10 attorneys. Uh, I'm one of them. And we you know, litigate these cases in court. We handle about 5,000 state church complaints every year. Uh, we try to solve them without going to court, just simply through education. For instance, writing a letter and saying, hey, what you're doing, government official, is wrong. Please stop it. And most of the time that works. But if it doesn't, we'll take the case to court. And that's, I mean, the short version. We are a membership-driven organization. we got about uh, 32,000 members right now, and that's where all of our funding comes from. Cool. We wanted to have you on to talk uh, today about religious exceptionalism, uh, specifically in the context of the COVID-19 crisis and, uh, I guess, religious opposition to social distancing measures. Is this something you're experiencing at the moment? <laughs> yes, we are experiencing quite a bit of it here in the States. Uh, and this has quickly become the focus of a lot of the work that we're doing at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, because it seems to be that the biggest opponents of social distancing and stay-at-home orders are churches. Uh, and specifically conservative churches, evangelical churches, Christian nationalist churches here in the United States. So we FFRF has devoted a lot of resources to helping educate the not just government officials, but the, the population, the public in general about why these orders are important and why there is no religious freedom right to put others lives at risk. I assume you're personally all in lockdown at the moment then? Yes, yes. Been in lockdown for quite a while now. Um, you know, we, we 
had a family emergency uh, early in March um, and had to had to travel to Florida, which was sort of a hot spot. Uh, had to drive to Florida here in the states, and so we were in quarantine immediately after we got home from that. A self quarantine. Uh, for two weeks and have been in quarantine ever since because then all the stay-at-home orders came issued uh, were issued when we uh, were in the middle of that quarantine. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing we've left uh, is for groceries. And then once uh, had a huge leak in our roof that I had to repair. So I had to go to, uh, you know, our Home Depot and grab the, the uh, roofing supplies for that. But other than that, we've been locked down and uh, trying to do our best to stay sane while stuck at home for days and days and days. But the FFRF is able to continue its work remotely. Yes, we have a fantastic tech team at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, James and Lauren. Uh, they saw this coming early. Uh, they made sure that everybody was ready to go uh, for when the remote work kicked in. Uh, so we were able to transition pretty seamlessly. Our legal team started remote work before anybody else. And, you know, we, we would kind of have to be on the road a lot anyway. So that was an easy transition for us. Uh, but yes, we've been uh, remote for more than a month now. Uh, and everything seems to be humming along very nicely for the organization, or at least as nicely as it can be when everybody's scattered to the winds and locked indoors. We've seen elsewhere that this crisis, um, like many others, has been used by the religious right as an opportunity to advance what are their pre-existing policy preferences. So, for example, targeting abortion, of abortion and LGBT rights, uh, really from Poland to Brazil, ostensibly uh, linked to the need for lockdowns that the same groups don't, in other contexts, seem to be taking as seriously. Could you talk much about the American context on that? We are seeing the same thing happen here. Absolutely, you know, there's a there's there's a political saying here that says never let a good crisis go to waste, um, and they the religious right really seems to be taking advantage of that. And they the the big areas that they're focusing on still uh, or using the pandemic uh, to take advantage of uh, seem to be abortion, which you already mentioned. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of lawsuits back and forth already in states that have said, well, uh, we are enforcing stay at home orders. And that includes abortion clinics. Nobody can go get an abortion. So you have uh, places like Texas and Louisiana, Mississippi trying to do things like that, Arkansas. Uh, and th th a lot of it, there's a lot of litigation ongoing about that. Every, pretty much every single day we're hearing about another court decision uh, or an appeal, something along those lines. Uh, vouchers. Uh, so this is essentially this is a way for taxpayer funds to flow into private religious schools. Um, and we're seeing a, a big attempt by Betsy DeVos in the Department of Education trying to use the stimulus money that the federal government uh, passed to send that money to private religious schools through various different kinds of voucher schemes, um, things like micro grants, uh, without getting too into the weeds on that. Basically, mm -hmm. it's just a way for public money to end up going to, to religious schools and churches, which is something that's absolutely prohibited under our constitution. So those are two of the big ones, abortion and vouchers. And, and, and the biggest one that we're seeing is, you know, one of America's founding principles is the separation of state and church. And uh, that really stemmed from, or part of it stemmed from this idea that the government can't use its coercive taxing power, take that money from you as citizen and then give it to a religion with which you disagree. Basically all religious support, financial support needs to be done voluntarily. 
you know, we don't want to have Muslims uh, being forced to uh, support Jewish synagogues or Jewish synagogues or Jewish citizens being forced to support mosques or non-believers being forced to support Christian churches, things like that. And in the stimulus package that Congress has been passing, they are allowing all of that money uh, to flow to churches and to preachers and pastors and clergy for their salaries, for their mortgage payments, things like this. And that is a massive hole in the great American principle of the separation of state and church that uh, a lot of the groups, the Freedom From Religion Foundation included, are working overtime to try to repair and try to stop uh, that flow of public money. I mean, that that is a, an absolute betrayal of America's founding values. And to me, it's the biggest example of what you just asked for, you know, the, the religious right taking advantage of this crisis to forward their policy goals. That's very interesting. I mean, the voucher issue, um, may be familiar with it, but that's please, that's not something I've seen any of my American friends uh, sharing on Facebook or Twitter that, that that's an issue. Uh, we obviously don't have the same strict separation of church and state in the UK, so we don't have the the voucher issue because we just you know a third of our schools are uh, yeah. state funded faith schools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it I would say that for the most part, it's probably flown under the radar here the voucher issue. Um, I heard a couple news stories about it yesterday and the day before, so I suspect people will start to wake up more to it. Uh, you know, the Freedom From Religion Foundation and a bunch of our coalition partners signed a letter that we sent to Congress on April 20th, I believe it was. Uh, and so that's that that it should start working its way into the news. And, and there are other things, too, that, that, you know, I haven't even had a chance to verify. For instance, right before we started to record this, and I hesitate to mention it because I haven't had to run it down, I saw that... Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, which is a federal uh, department, is trying to pass a rule, apparently, again, take this with a grain of salt, that um, healthcare workers don't have to treat uh, trans or perhaps other LGBT patients that may be infected with COVID uh, on the basis of their religion, which, I mean, is is absolutely immoral and also a good, also a really good way to continue to spread the disease. Uh, so that's something that we're going to be looking into. And obviously that's a, that's another one of the policy goals of the religious right. And, it, you know, if we had to sum it up, what you're really, the fight that we've been engaged in here in the United States for the past decade, or really two, with the with this attempt to redefine religious liberty, to weaponize religious liberty, to turn it into not a right to protect you from the government, but a, a weapon to impose that religion on other people. The, the best way to sum that up is that Christian nationalists in this country have been seeking to make themselves a special favored class and relegate everybody else to this second class citizenry. And that's really what you're seeing happening with all of these different policy pushes, even in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, that's it's terrible. This, the idea of denying healthcare on religious grounds is sadly something I know that some of our, our friends in India have spoken about with the so-called lower cost or untouchables not routinely not having access to healthcare because doctors tend to be more socially economic advanced anyways and therefore and are more like to be so-called upper caste. I mean it really it really is to me it's one of the it's the, it's one of the most nightmarish issues out there. I mean the idea that you have a right to not help a fellow human being uh, because of who they are 
to not try to save their life, uh, to me, it really exposes some of the, the bedrock immorality, the, the us, them, the otherizing that religion engages in and it, it, the way that it and how deadly it truly can be. I mean, so it's linked to that is that uh, some faith groups have grabbed headlines by breaking or demanding exemptions to social distancing. Uh, for instance, I, I know there was some controversy regarding a mass funeral in New York over the last few days. Mm -hmm. And I've just been sent uh, this morning an article from Pew Research Council, uh, Pew Research Center, suggesting that a, a majority of U.S. states have religious exemptions to social distancing laws. And this is one of the things that we've been trying to work on at the Freedom From Religion Foundation. So early in this process, uh, I want to say about mid-March, we sent a letter to every governor uh, of every one of the 50 states explaining you, there is no reason to exempt churches from stay at home or social distancing orders. Uh, so first we're saying religious freedom doesn't require this. Second, these exemptions would unconstitutionally favor churches. And third, the, the exemptions are immoral and deadly. Uh, so we sent those letters in mid-March and uh, uh, quite a few of the governors, a uh, little less than half, as you mentioned, have agreed and have done the right thing and imposed these orders on their states and said that they apply to churches. And quite a few have not, uh, including places like Florida and Ohio. Uh, and we've been trying to work with those governments to explain that this really is a huge problem and it's not something you have to do. I mean, so, I mean, the, the first thing that everybody needs to stand understand is there is no legal reason to exempt churches from these orders. The, the conventional wisdom out there is that well, these churches have a religious right uh, to worship as they see fit. That, that This is situated in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And that's true. Americans have rights to worship and they have rights to assemble, but neither of those rights is unlimited. And that's the problem that we're running into right here. Everybody's assuming that I have that right, so I get to do it no matter what. And that's not true. Uh, neither of those rights to worship and assemble includes the right to risk other people's lives. And that's, I think, the big misunderstanding here is everybody assumes if I have this right, it is unlimited. And, and that's just absolutely not true. And in fact, every right that we possess as American citizens, with the exception of one, is limited. It, and it can and should be limited. You know, we, free, we have freedom of speech, but that doesn't include the right to defame other people or to threaten other people. Uh, you have freedom of speech, but you're prohibited in the United States from telling people who to vote for within a certain number of feet of polling places. Uh, so, you know, you have to be you know, a thousand feet away from a polling place before you can engage in political speech. Um, and the same holds for the right to assemble and worship. You have the right to worship, but you don't have the right to jeopardize public health by doing so. Uh, and, and that's the big disconnect. That's the sort of the big uh public education push that we've been when trying to do here. Hmm. I think uh, British and European secularists often look with jealousy on the United States and your very clear First Amendment because I get the closest equivalent we have is our Article 9 protection of religious freedom or freedom of belief. Uh, but actually this might be a situation where maybe our constitutional setup might be a little bit better from a secularist perspective because 
Article 9, the protection of your uh, freedom of belief and conscience, uh, explicitly makes clear that that's a limited right. And in fact, public safety is one of the explicit enumerated yeah. uh, areas where your right to freedom of religion and belief can be restricted. And this is something that our court system has dealt with many times in the past. Uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has said explicitly that society and other citizens have a greater interest in stopping the spread of, for instance, smallpox than one individual does in in having the right to worship as they see fit. And that was, so that was from a 1905 case. Uh, so they've regularly rejected these challenges, but you're right if you look at the plain language of the First Amendment, not that many Americans actually do that. Uh, you would assume that you have this absolute right to worship as you see fit. And, and, and again, that's just not true. The only absolute right we possess under this system is the uh, right to think freely. You can think and believe whatever you want without limitation, but you don't have the right to act on those beliefs without limitation. And that's the disconnect we've got here right now. There are just many areas where religious groups and particularly the more privileged religious groups just aren't used to having the law apply equally to them. <laughs> uh, you may have noticed this. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> is, this cri is, is this crisis just a step too high? Is this just, does it just have to be a reckoning, a moment when, you know, perhaps the language of, in a way that, that, which that is expressed could be a bit clunky, but we just need to say, no, the law applies to everyone. If you can't get 10 people together, you know, can't get 10 people to, uh, together for a movie night, then you can't get 10 people together for a church evening. I think you're right. And I, I think there is this, there's a very deep rooted sense of entitlement for Christian, white American Christians, uh, and especially if they are conservative evangelicals and especially under the current administration, which speaks their language and tells them they're special and tells them that the government is working for them, not for everybody else. Uh, so the, the and a sense of entitlement is bad enough, but when you pair it with faith and religion, I think it really does become lethal. And that's, that's the other big education push we've been trying to do here is, look, this is declaring that you have a right to worship right now is immoral. And it's not only immoral, it's lethal. And, and there's a lot of data to back this up in Sacramento County, California, which is where the state capital of California is. One third of all COVID cases were traced to church services. Um, in South Korea, 60% of all cases trace back to one, uh, to one church cluster. One worshiper attended two services and infected 1,200 people. A single church in France kicked off uh, the biggest cluster. Uh, 2,500 confirmed cases were linked to it. The United, you had worshipers who went to Burkina Faso, Corsica, Latin America, Switzerland, elsewhere from that one cluster. Uh, and then even in small places like Lee County, Alabama, which is a, a pretty rural county in uh, the American South, health officials blamed uh, church gatherings with as few as 10 people for a massive surge in new cases there. That county had more than all the surrounding counties combined because of it. So the data very, very clearly shows that churches in particular are contributing to the spread of this pandemic. Uh, and it is something that we really ought to 
I, I, that message is something that we really need to do, I think, a little bit better job of explaining. So it helps to push back on their sense of entitlement. You have this and you, you feel entitled and you are actually killing people because of it. Yes. I mean, obviously, people of any faith or none, individuals can act irresponsibly or selfishly. It's the the blending of that with with us backed by a sense of entitlement because you know sort of an individual yes. breaking the rules kind of maybe feels that they're a bit in the wrong but if you've got the entitlement and the privilege you feel like no this is my religious freedom to cough on you yes i think that i think that was well put and and that that is i don't want to say it's a uniquely american problem but it does it, it does seem to be exacerbated here uh with the american sense of entitlement and liberty and freedom that many many citizens uh, feel and it's a very strange thing to, to say i mean two <laughs> three months ago you as a church state separation activist could you have been imagine you know us as secularists and liberals could we have imagined that we'd be wanting the state to order religious services to close i mean obviously not yeah. it's just the extreme circumstance and it's because we're not ordering religious services it's the everyone services and and that's the that's the thing that I a lot of people aren't grasping, including I should say judges here in the United States. You know, it's it really is a blanket order opposing uh, imposing this on everyone. Uh, and we had a judge in Kentucky, a guy named Justin Walker, who uh, should not be a judge. He was rated as unqualified when he was nominated by Trump, and he only took the bench a couple of months ago. Um, it, there was a church challenging one of these stay-at-home orders, and he wrote on Holy Thursday, so the Thursday before Easter, an American mayor criminalized the communal celebration of Easter. Uh, you know, and that's a judge characterizing the government as criminalizing religion. Uh, and this is a government that's trying to navigate a pandemic, to use science and health to combat this lethal contagion, while still recognizing that people have constitutional rights. So at best, this judge, he deliberately conflated, at best, a well-meaning violation of the religious right to free exercise uh, with a deliberate and dystopian religious persecution. At, at worst, he is too blinded by his Christian nationalism to understand the difference between persecution and not being persecuted because of that sense of entitlement. Uh, so it really is something that, that that sense of entitlement that we've been talking about really is something that is impacting every aspect of the coronavirus response here in the United States, I think. Hmm. A friend of mine said uh, this morning an article again about uh, LGBT pride being cancelled and how upset they were about that. But knowing and seeing that that's a necessary thing and my heart just genuinely go out to people who to whom religion is important who are unable to meet and commune with others just as it does to anyone who's you know i should be having a lovely trip up to edinburgh tomorrow to play dungeons <laughs> and dragons that's not going to happen and i feel upset about that but it's this uh idea that it's persecution for you to not get your way I'm not. I'm not sure best how best to characterize that. Is that is that simply religious privilege? Is it a sort of hyper individualism? And is that just part of the American DNA? I, 
I mean, I really think we have to tie that to, I really think there is a big part of that that is due to the Christian persecution complex here in the United States. And th this is something that I, I've written about fairly regularly. There is a, a theological element to American Christianity, certainly, that suggests that you as Christians are persecuted. But here in America, Christians are, you know, I mean, among the most privileged citizens. You know, their <laughs> their God shows up on our money, on our public buildings, their Bibles in every hotel room that you go to. Uh, so even with that that separation of state and church, they still enjoy an immense amount of privilege. Uh, but they preach that they are going to be persecuted for their beliefs, and uh, there's there's to me is. Long before this pandemic and these government orders, there was this yearning uh, in American Christians to be persecuted. And I think this is sort of the realization of that fantasy for them. So they are misconstruing these blanket orders that apply to everyone and apply to everything as persecution of them in particular. And, you know, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I have a book out and I'm supposed to be on a book tour. Uh, I have, I've had to cancel six events so far, uh, you know, uh, including a couple really big ones. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's something that's affecting everybody, but they are taking it more personally. And I really think, I don't think we can disentangle that from their, Theology. The, the, they've been told every Sunday for year after year after year that they're going to be persecuted for this, their beliefs. And they see this happening and say, here it is. We've mostly talked about the context there of uh, majoritarian groups. Uh, mm. I wanted to get, maybe get briefly your thoughts on uh, more minority or insular religious, religious groups that we have seen being hotspots for the outbreak. Yeah. I know you, you mentioned South Korea. I know there's been some evidence uh, in India that some Muslim groups have been outbreak hotspots, and I I'm almost hesitant to say that because I do know that the, the the Hindu religious right are using this crisis in many areas to continue to target and harass minority religious groups. Yeah, and I, I don't think I certainly don't think it's limited to Christianity. You already mentioned uh, in New York City uh, there are a number of Orthodox Jewish enclaves that have had um, serious outbreaks and and we're not even sure to the extent to how, how bad they are. The, the funeral you mentioned was for one of the Orthodox rabbis uh, in one of these communities. And that led uh, Mayor de Blasio of New York City to tweet out a... Um, it was, let's just say it was, it was not the, he didn't choose his words as carefully as he should have. I think he was pretty angry uh, and it, it was an ill-considered tweet. Uh, but the, the point that he's trying to make is that these orders and the stay at home should apply to everybody, regardless of your religion. And we're, we've also seen other examples of uh, governments trying to accommodate religion in ways that are legally problematic under our constitution. Uh, for instance, there's a, a city in Minnesota that is, because of the pandemic, allowing mosques to broadcast their call to prayer five times a day over loudspeakers in violation of the noise ordinances, which they have not been allowed to do. And doesn't. there's no real lo logical reason to suggest 
that they need to be calling people to prayer in the middle of a pandemic anyway. Uh, and this, you know, these happen at dawn, so they're waking every citizen who can hear it up. Uh, so, you know, we're trying to address that issue and say, hey, look, this is this, there's just because there's a pandemic on doesn't mean you all of a sudden get to to violate the law in other ways. So so it's not something that is just strictly American Christians. It's just that they happen to be the majority in this country. They happen to feel more entitled than all the other religious groups as a result. And um, they do have that that theology of persecution that they've been waiting uh, on for you know decades. Mm. It's sometimes the a crisis comes along and a problem that people have been complaining about before. So secularists, church separation activists have long complained about exemptions and special treatment in the law. And some people might just take a view that, well, you know, just let them get on with it. What's the harm mm -hmm. when the when, when the harm begins to be illustrated in, in a tragically graphic way? then perhaps we need to revisit that. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's great examples of that. Well, no, I shouldn't say great. There's awful examples of that all across the United States right now. There's a pastor in Louisiana uh, who refuses to abide by these orders uh, and has been holding worship services regularly. Uh, and slowly, one by one, we're seeing news stories about, uh, you know, people in his congregation, his personal lawyer, uh, who have contracted the disease. There's a... Um, Pastor in Florida, Rodney Howard Brown, who violated local rules, rules prohibiting large gatherings. Um, you know, and this this is a, this guy is just a pious scoundrel. He's not, and he's not just spreading the virus, but also misinformation. This is a guy who has said uh, it's okay to worship in his church because he has thirteen machines there that will kill the virus in the place, uh, which is obviously not true. He's preached that people who have enough faith will see their rolls of toilet paper multiply. Uh, which is also untrue. Uh, and this is that is the guy that the Florida governor, uh, Governor DeSantis, changed the stay-at-home order for. Because Rodney Howard Brown was arrested and charged for violating the local rules, the governor of the state stepped in and said, no, 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 churches are exempt across the state, and this preempts all your local rules to, to get this scoundrel off. So, uh, you know, it... it, it and these are, uh, let's just say, these are the extreme examples. Obviously, mm. there are there are many, many well-meaning people, and most of the churches in the United States. Uh, I, there was a there was a study I want to say. I think it was like, I think it was more than two thirds. Uh, I don't recall the exact figure off the top of my head. More than two thirds of the churches not only agreed with these orders, but were were scrupulously trying to follow them. Um, so it, you know, it's these are maybe not outliers, uh, but but uh, they are the certainly the more newsworthy examples, I guess we'll say. Something we've had a lot of feedback about over the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly around one case which we helped expose, is religious miracle cures, that whole area of pseudo-medicine. And I think there's a perception that the US uh, has more uh, of a culture of, shall we say, entrepreneurial religion. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've uh, talked about some of the, some of some of these uh, miracle cure sales going on in in the previous answer about the church with the sort of was it magic machines blocking or destroying <laughs> yeah. the, the virus. Yep. And we've seen also that there's sort of hesitancy to take on religious groups doing this in a way that if just 
a run-of-the-mill pseudo-medicine non-related to religious group might be shut down. Is the crisis again an example of there just needs to be a reckoning for this? Is this being cracked down on? It actually is here in the United States, which to me was uh, very surprising. You know, typically the government leaves religion alone when it comes to these kind of mir- miracle cure things and uh, hawking their their nonsense cures uh, or nonsense medicine. But when the coronavirus pandemic really started taking off uh, and started alarming the government, we saw televangelists here in the States you know, promoting their cures, uh, something like silver nitrate, and this will cure you. And uh, both in New York and in Arkansas, the, the attorney general sent letters to these televangelists and said, if you continue to do this, we're going to bring you up on fraud charges and you're going to spend uh, a serious amount of time in jail. And I've, in, I've been doing state church stuff for a decade uh, on, from the law side, and I've never seen anything like that. Uh, and it put a quick stop to a lot of this. And it, it, to me, it was pretty fascinating to see that that hard response uh, against these churches in the wake of this pandemic. I, I had never seen anything like that. So that was new and, uh, in my mind, certainly a positive development. Are they being accused of... Um being jackbooted thugs destroying religious freedom <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure they are uh i have i sadly don't spend too much time watching the televangelists these days <laughs> well Andrew, thank you so much for joining us you've given us just so much to to think about and reflect on before you go is there anything you'd like to plug uh yeah please Take a look at my book, The Founding Myth, Why Christian Nationalism is Un-American, if you enjoyed this conversation. A lot of this stuff actually, uh, at least from the philosophical level, is is in The Founding Myth. And then you, I'm on social media. If you've got other questions, feel free to find me, Andrew L. Seidel, S-E-I-D-E-L, on pretty much all the platforms. Come, come find me and let's chat. Well, thanks so much. So uh, you stay safe. You too. Thank you. I'm now joined by Alistair again, and we're going to reflect on his interview with Andrew Seidel and the very interesting issues which that raises. Alistair, first of all, there's an interesting paradox, I think, in in the relationship between uh, the the state of secularism in the US and the UK, because on the one hand, the US does have a secular constitution, and it was specifically designed as such, unlike the UK. But yet there's the paradox that the US today is a much more religious society than the UK is. Any thoughts as to why that might be? Uh, Thanks, Emma. I think that's quite a big topic. And there are two large competing hypotheses over that. But it so I have all the time to dive deeply into that. But it's worth remembering that constitutions and practices can can vary quite wide widely there are countries that have you know very strong secularist constitutions and yet uh there is a dom- there are dominant religious groups there's extreme religious privilege and discrimination uh pakistan for example founded as a secular republic so that can that can that can vary very quite widely there can also be a big difference between the culture of a country and its legal institutions so the uk as, as you say we have a we have an established church we have formal religious privilege 
but religion plays a, a quite a limited role in many people's lives. Do, do you think there are any lessons we can learn from the issues facing the Freedom From Religion Foundation and other secular organisations in the US um, and their way of dealing with religious influence and religious lobbying in the US in the way we approach similar religious lobbying in the UK? Uh, definitely. There's always stuff to learn from other other countries with our brother and sister organizations around the world definitely specifically in the context of COVID-19 uh, I'd like to just reference an article written by my colleague Chris near the Chris Loggett near the beginning of the lockdown that was talking about secular attitudes and laws and how they are an asset against coronavirus because we do see that where you have extreme uh, religious fanaticism or religious privilege that can very much hinder the fight against this corona uh, against coronavirus and what that i think shows uh, is this this crisis is highlighting an underlying problem that when there is when religion is being privileged and religious ideas being privileged over other people's legal rights then that creates an expectation that that will always be the case and sometimes it will not these will not be issues that huge numbers of people notice or necessarily care about uh, secularists can some may sometimes be focused on issues of religious privilege where that are harming a rather small group or where the harm is is there but not necessarily absolutely visible on the surface whereas this crisis has brought that to that brought those issues right to the surface uh, talking about problems with doctors being able to refuse patients care on religious grounds that is an area of law an area that may be kind of restricted and people have heard about but they're not really sure how much that's going on or where that's going on or they might think oh well yeah no just let people let their religious belief be privileged in that case but when you've got a real crisis on and your you've hands got people may actually be dying if they're refused treatment on religious grounds by a doctor and and, and i, I want to be clear when I, when I when i when i talk about real price on the sand on on the hands for many people who are less 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 privileged than us this this form of discrimination is a daily crisis as well what i'm talking about is it bringing it to the surface of the larger public's conscious and debate and it strikes me that one one aspect of um, Andrews, what Andrew Trusidal said was that in America, it's become very clear that this COVID crisis is partly about religion versus science in a very fundamental sense. Do you put your religious faith first or do you accept that science just sometimes is incompatible with particularly um, strict religious views? Well, as a sec as a committed secularist, I would like to stay uh, some somewhat neutral on on that point. the The thing I will say is there are there will always be people who are motivated by their religious faith to do tremendous good, and people motivated by their religious faith to do terrible harm. With a, sec a secularism doesn't challenge the religious belief, but what secularism is, is it puts in place a framework of protections and rights to prevent religion, your religious beliefs being used to harm other people. And that principle applies what whatever your beliefs are and in whatever the context. So we don't need to, if if people are motivated by the religious faith 
to have very anti-scientific ideas. That may be a social problem that people want to discuss. But as secularists, what's important to us is that those beliefs don't then manifest them, themselves in ways which harm the rights of other people. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a question of, of balancing all these different rights, as you say. And as Andrew made an, an excellent point, which is that the right to freedom of belief or conscience is absolute in the US Constitution and in general. Um, no one in a Western democracy would say that anyone has the right to dictate to people what they believe. On the other hand, once you start talking about the manifestations of your religious belief or the manifestations of your right to freedom of expression, that's where both of these rights become limited by um, how far you can harm other people by your religious expression or by your freedom of speech. Yes. Uh, Andrew talked about their job at the FFRF, educating people about the First Amendment to their constitution and what that actually means uh, and trying to use that better education to challenge this sort of absolutist ideal of like my religion trumps everything else. Uh, we perhaps should also do a, try and do a good job of educating people about what our equivalent in the UK is, which would be, I would guess, Article 9 of the Human Rights Act, your right to freedom of belief, conscience and, conscience and thought. And similarly, in fact, in a much more explicit way, our Article 9 explains that is a limited right. And, you know, we even find within the text of Article 9 the fact that uh, your, your, your freedom to manifest, you, you have the right to this thought, you have the right to, to think and believe and to practice your religion, but the manifestation of that belief can be subject to uh, limitations as are necessary in a democratic society. And one of the particular limitations is the interests of public health, I believe, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, public health, uh, public order, and, and and very importantly, the phrase, quote, or for the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. Absolutely. Um, and I think another thing to me that Andrew's um, discussion showed was the importance of understanding the laws of your country and of having lawyers or attorneys like Andrew who can represent the views of secularists um, or humanists in court and, and be there to know where the um, abuses of the constitution are taking place and challenge them because if you don't challenge them, you're never gonna get the change you want. Absolutely. Alistair, thanks very much. Thanks so much. That was episode 25 of the National Secular Society podcast, hosted by Emma Park. The guest speakers were Andrew Seidel and Alistair Lichten. If you would like to help us challenge unfair religious privilege and support freedom of and from religion in Britain today, why not become a member of the NSS? Full details are on our website at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you like this podcast, you can find more episodes and more information about this episode on the website. Thanks for listening.